0: This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Welcome, everybody. As we know, it is not easy to be a Christian on college campuses these days. It's especially apparent when you consider that the apologetics organization Ratio Christi has now filed federal lawsuits against two universities for discrimination, winning one of them just recently. And we're going to get an update now from Dr. Corey Miller, president and CEO of Ratio Christi, a global movement that equips university students and faculty to give historical, philosophical and scientific reasons for following Jesus Christ. Corey, so good to talk to you again how are you doing?
2: Hi, Janet. Good to talk with you again. Thanks for having me on today.
0: You bet. Well, I want to talk to you about this recent lawsuit victory. That was really quick. You filed this lawsuit against (laughs) the University of Houston, Clear Lake, and boom, all of a sudden they did a turnaround. Tell us what happened here.
2: Well, I think they realized, oh my gosh, these guys weren't playing around. They're actually going to hold us accountable. Yes. (laughs) And so, yes, we did. Uh, For certain universities who cannot, in good patience and good faith, uh, work together with us, then we intend on giving them a continuing education about the U.S. Constitution. And that's what happened here.
0: Good. What was the issue here? They were denying uh, a, a ability to have your group on campus. What What exactly went down?
2: Sure. So what they denied was certain elements in our Constitution that requires our not members but our leaders our student officers to actually be christians uh... and in ordinary circumstances you know the vietnamese club you would expect it to be vietnamese and not european or the yeah. democratic club you'd expect the president student president to be a democrat and not a republican why should it be any different here right. and so they decided to treat us differently from everybody else and we notified them of that and they thought that that was just fine and we wouldn't do anything about it, but we did.
0: Well, I'm glad that that was reinstated. It's kind of funny, though. I was reading that this University of Houston system associate VP disputed that this was a turnaround and said that it's not a reversal of a prior decision. The application was never denied and was still in process when the lawsuit was filed. Is that right?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, not as I understand the facts, and the attorneys understand the facts, and yeah. they're they're pretty careful with that.
0: Yeah. The policies that were in place or the policy that was in place at that particular school, how did it get around the basic constitutional right of people to be able to form individual student groups and have the people leading them be in line with the purpose of the group? Well, what is the policy exactly that was precluding you guys from getting approval?
2: Well, it's it's not just at the University of Houston. We had another federal victory two years ago at the University of Colorado on a similar issue. And many universities are moving in this direction. It's just that no one is there to challenge them, or some people capitulate and go ahead and, you know, for short-term gain, cross the uh, the T, dot the I, and sacrifice their own principles. We don't want to do that. With all this talk about diversity, it's not a support of viewpoint diversity, Uh, generally speaking. It's more about, you know, skin pigment and body parts. (laughs) But when it comes to... Um, you know, Christianity. It seems like these situations arise only and against Christians on campus, as if there's a Christophobia in America.
0: Yeah, well, I've noticed that. (laughs) I've noticed something like that. Anyway, that's a great win. Now, there is another lawsuit that you guys have filed. This one at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. What's been the trouble over there on that campus?
2: Yeah. So this one's over uh, student funding. There are usually four issues, speech zones, speech codes, the kind of all comers policy like we just discussed so that everybody ought to be able to be student presidents or student officers. And then a the fourth one that we commonly run up against is funding for, say, speakers or events coming happening on campus. In this case, uh, students pay into student fees, and then approved groups can receive monies for their events based on uh, the student fees that everybody pays into, and all approved groups get to receive from. We weren't allowed to receive from, though, because they heard about a speaker coming in and thought he had ideological differences. Now, they had no idea what he was going to speak on at that time when they rejected us. <laughs> And they didn't realize, oh, not only was he a tenured philosophy professor in the past of this university, but he taught there for decades, and he was the department head at one time also. (laughs) And he was going to be talking on the problem of evil and suffering. So. Nonetheless, they decided to continue on. They they weren't, uh, you know, I, I guess as humble as University of Houston. So, again, we will provide them with a continuing education.
0: <laughs> well, this is with Dr. Robert Audie. Is that the man who is scheduled to appear?
2: Right. Uh, the guy wrote the, dic- the Cambridge Dictionary of Philosophy. Every philosopher in the country probably possesses that book. Wow. So he's a mainstream, well-respected philosopher. And yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. That's saying something. I you know, I don't understand. I know the ideological, you know, bent of these universities is overwhelmingly leftist and and there's no reasoning with a lot of these people. But sometimes on a human level it becomes difficult to understand First of all, how they can't connect the dots that they're being unfair. And second of all, if they do understand that they're being unfair, that they feel justified in discriminating against Christians over and over and over. The point of an education, as you and I know, Corey, is that you present what is true to the students and you can have back and forth. This is how Students learn is you're able to examine different perspectives with the hopes that what is right and what is true will be embraced by the student body. And what they're doing is really trying to make sure the student body embraces what is false and narrow and discriminatory, which is the very antithesis of an education.
2: Well, Janet, in today's culture, with this neo-Marxism taking the reign in the universities, uh, discrimination is okay so long as it's practiced from the minority to the majority, um, not vice versa. It's like racism today. You cannot possibly be a racist unless you're a majority oppressing a minority. Right. And there was a university in California a few years ago, that openly had a policy that they could discriminate against Christians as a majority group, because by definition, that's not discrimination, like it's not racism if it happened. Wow. So, because there's no, you know, the pursuit of truth in the universities now, it's all about power and privilege, power and privilege. So, Christianity is looked at as, in many cases, as sort of one of the oppressors uh, in that uh, regime.
0: That's outrageous. How much of the discussion about hate speech and and hateful ideas and hateful ideology is lobbed your way, in particular at those who are part of Rasheo Christie? Because I hear a lot of stories anecdotally about uh, they think we're haters, and we're looking at them saying, "For God so loved the world." How, how did you get that? I'm a hater. I mean, do you hear a lot of that kind of talk?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the rhetoric: hate or celebrate. Right? Yes. There's nothing in-between there, whereas we used to be able to say, hate the sin, love the sinner. Within a postmodern mentality, you can't separate the sin and the sinner. And so on the LGBT issue, for example, if you don't endorse it, then you must oppose it. And anyone who opposes it hates the people involved.
0: Yes. Right. That's what they think. That's what they think. Hate or celebrate. Yeah, which should make apologetics that much more challenging. Have you seen a shift as identity politics has become more and more embraced and more popular on college campuses? Have you seen any kind of shift in the way that you need to really approach apologetics with skeptics on campus? Yes. Uh,
2: So we call this rhetorical apologetics, a part of cultural apologetics. And now instead of doing, you know, just addressing the common issues like, You know, science and scripture, the problem of evil and suffering, the reliability of the Bible, evidence for God's existence. Today, we're having to deal with um, pre-apologetical issues on race, class, sex, gender, nationality, ethnicity, and religious dominance in the area. Hmm. So, yeah, with racism, for example, instead of hate or celebrate, it's do you want to be a racist or an anti-racist? Well, no one's going to want to say they want to be a racist, for heaven's sake. No okay, so sign here on the dotted line for an anti-racist, and I'll tell you what it means after.
0: Goodness, well. And
2: what it it means is (laughs) the new kind of racism uh, where um, certain people who are considered oppressors, part of the oppressor class, need to just listen, lament, and learn.
0: Isn't that interesting? Well, there's a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a break. Coming back with Dr. Corey Miller, President and CEO of Ratio Christie. Stay with us here on Janet Buffer today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candice talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The
1: sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum
0: of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom thank you to everybody that has given these gifts you guys are giving more than money you guys are giving love Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. And now through a match, your gift is doubled. All gifts are tax-deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. 855-402-BABY. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mafford for Bible League International. Authorities in China are making life difficult for Christians. It's against the law to share Christ with children under age 18. We cannot preach to children under 18. That is their practice and law.
2: But when the parents bring kids to the church, when you can teach them
0: English, and then you can send the gift of gospel to them, it is a great joy. Believers are teaching English to young people using a Bible League program that uses God's Word is the source of the reading assignments. And many are coming to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and sharing Him with their families. Please join Bible League in sending God's Word to Bibleist believers in China and around the world for only $5 per Bible. $50 sends $10, $500 sends 100 Call now 800 Yes Word, 800 YES WORD, or there's a Bible League banner to click at janetmefford.com. Thank you for your support. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. It is so good to know that there are Christians on college campuses who are fighting to continue to defend the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Dr. Corey Miller is with us, president and CEO of Ratio Christi. And they have filed some lawsuits recently with One recent win just a few days ago against the University of Houston, Clear Lake, and another one pending at the University of Nebraska, Lincoln, over this issue of these campuses not treating Christians the same way that they treat other people. And I'm interested to finish a little bit about what we were discussing, Corey, before we went to the break when you discussed this issue of rhetorical apologetics and how you're having to do now pre-apologetics, as it were, on things like racial issues. This must be a little daunting, though, because we're also in this time where people will say they're triggered or say they were injured verbally, things like that, if you even raise an issue that might have a chance of offending them, have you run into that as well? Like there's more sensitivity when people are confronted with ideas they haven't heard before?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I was a professor at Indiana University not long ago, I was charged with creating a suicidal environment, merely (sighs) because I brought up the other side to an issue on human sexuality. But yeah, across the board, the big challenge now is not only um, putting forth the message that Christianity is true because it's believed to be false, but Christianity is good because it's believed to be
0: bad. Right. Right. Well, it's interesting. You had written a piece not too long ago about how you and this philosopher atheist Peter Burgosian, who was at Portland State and quit his job because he says it's no longer about truth. You guys have become friends of sorts, it sounds like yeah. it's very tell people a little bit about that because I find that to be an interesting twist of of fate and events. Uh, tell us yeah. what happened here, because this is this is really kind of great when you hear about it.
2: Yeah, I I was going to grab lunch with him next week when I'm in Oregon, but he had to go out of town. So, yeah, we're we're friends. We talk about, you know, each other's families and see what's going on on a personal level, even though... We are arch enemies when it comes to ideology. Uh, you know, he wrote the book "A Manual for Creating Atheists. He believes that faith is a virus and that religious believers need to be treated like uh, psychiatric patients. Uh, don't be mean to them, but help them through good questions, through reason and science, and that will eventually lead them to atheism. Well, he invited me at one point to um, lecture in his class on uh, evidence and reasons for God's existence, which I did, and then we hit it off and realized we had various things in common, and we both had a common enemy. See, at least we don't believe that debate is hate, and we believe in Voltaire's statement, the deist, that said, uh, I may disagree with what you say, but I would defend to the death your right to say it. In today's market, though, that ability to have healthy debate does not uh, so much as exist. It's more like Stalin, ideas are more powerful than weapons, we don't allow our enemies to have weapons, why should we let them have ideas? (laughs) And so the root of cancel culture is found in this neo-Marxist, cultural Marxist, identity politics approach, um, that even atheists, like Peter Boghossian would have called himself, he now refers to himself just as a skeptic, (laughs) uh, finally realized where his friends are and those people who he could build a civilization with aren't on that side of the aisle, but tend to be conservative Christians.
0: Wow. Isn't that, it must kind of strike him as wow, this is ironic. Here I was fighting against people like Corey Miller as delusional and all of a sudden we're friends because I notice that the other people are nuts. So I got, I mean this is an interesting story. It it really kind of creates a new uh, road it would seem for evangelism when you see some of these people who really seem to be solidly anti-Christian all of a sudden waking up and saying, wait a minute, this critical theory thing is really backfiring. This is not a good thing for us?
2: It has galvanized um, uh, unlikely enemies together. You know, I just had an agnostic professor tell me last night that he thinks whenever Christianity gets attacked, that's worse for civilization. Uh, We have people now calling themselves atheist Christians that are authors of books uh, from the UK and in the US. And, And then just this past week, I had a student approach me and ask if we could override our Um, requirements of having our officers be Christians, because he's an atheist, but he's the longest tenured member attending one of our clubs, and they need a student president, and he loves our organization. That's not the first time I've heard that either. So we're actually, uh, I think, kind of on the cutting edge when it comes to campuses that, um, you know, we try to engage hot issues, but we try to generate more light than heat, and non-believers uh, love engaging with us because we're willing to take on the hot topics, but do it in a loving and gentle manner.
0: Well, that's terrific. Has the atheist who wants to become the leader of Russia Christi, has he considered becoming a Christian? That might be a good way to get into leadership at some point.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was told that um, a week ago or so he was with another student uh, in the club and was asking, what does salvation by grace mean? So I am inclined to think that some of these people are seeing the wickedness that is at the end of the line for atheism, uh, especially in its Marxist approach uh, to what's happening to civilization. And that's making them reconsider um, you know, the foundations for what made the West great. And that's hmm. part of our messaging now, is that you know, is Christianity good or bad for the world? It's good for the world in many ways. But it's not just good for the world. It ought to be good to the world. And that's the case because it's true.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's interesting. You had brought up the fact that uh, Boghossian had been involved with these other atheist scholars on that hoax project. People might remember that. But tell people a little bit about that, because that was a really good way to really, I I would think, showcase the bankruptcy ideologically of the left. Tell people what happened there.
2: Oh, my goodness. So he and two other atheist scholars saw what was happening, and they submitted um, peer-reviewed journal articles to major publications in various fields. And these things were completely false, completely hoaxes. Uh, One, for example, uh, took part of Hitler's Mein Kampf and replaced it with certain social justice language and it got accepted. <laughs> Another one was, talk, was titled something like the conceptual penis and it got accepted and they got awards for it. Ugh. I mean they were making stuff up, but if they sounded great with the proper language in these journals, they got accepted, they got awards for it and tell someone at the Wall Street Journal Uh, had insight and blew the whistle on it. And that's when things got difficult for them uh, because it was a real embarrassment for these social justice, critical theory, neo-Marxist-type journals that are really taking over in the universities. Uh, And it showed that they're not real, real scholarship. It's really pushing an ideology not a debate for the pursuit of truth.
0: You know, and what's so interesting to me, this has been said by many Christians in many different ways, the concept that if you have truth, you don't mind scrutiny. It's when you have a lie that you have to shut everything else off. How much can you Take that concept to atheists or skeptics and say the very fact that we will allow debate and we welcome debate and we want to interact with anybody who comes from any perspective because we can stand on the word of God and the claims of Christ because we know it's truth. How much do you think that might begin to resonate as the left and the people who are the social engineers and the identity politics pushers in this society continue to shut down speech? Is that going to find a point at which it just hits a brick wall and people wake up?
2: Look, I think it is to a certain extent. You're starting to see this social justice, cultural Marxism spread in universities all the way to medicine, mathematics, and engineering. Yeah. And so it's eclipsing the entire university, and that what state, what happens in the university does not stay in the university. So as we can see, the politicization of medicine today, uh, for example, people are starting to wake up to this, and they're they're sick of cancel culture, especially when they now, and not just the conservatives or the Christians, are getting canceled. So once that's happening, it's making people realize, oh my gosh, this is this is really bad. This is about civilization here. It is. And so some of these people, classical liberals who uh, embrace freedom, even if they're atheists, um, they still see that there is value to. Allowing viewpoint diversity. Now, when Peter Bogosian and I toured universities together, uh, some people tried to get us canceled, and one of them wrote a letter to the president. That was that the letter went public, and they called us logical fascists.
0: Oh, what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we were both called logical fascists because we were trying to use Western colonialist, imperialistic tools to continue to subdue the minoritized. Uh, and oppressed communities.
0: Aye, aye, aye. That's that's another level of crazy. But I mean, nothing shocks me anymore. These these campuses are such a hotbed for any crazy thought that comes along. I I mean, where do you see this fight against critical theory headed on college campuses, Corey? Because that's where it proliferated in the first place. What kinds of strategies need to be employed, would you think, by Christians on college campuses? Because we can make a difference if we actually are the salt and light the Lord has called us to be.
2: It's going to take a while, but we need to take a cue from the um, leading cultural Marxist of the Italian movement, Antonio Gramsci, who talked about the infiltration through the institutions, the long march of infiltration through the institutions, because right now it is so heavily dominated. You know, secularists have found a brilliant way to get Christian parents and grandparents to pay for the apostasy of their own children. It's the universities. And you think it was bad five years ago. If you have not been on the campus in the last 18 months, you would not recognize it. So we need to, as a church, uh, part of our mission, whatever else we're doing has to be focused on the university, because as goes the university, so goes the culture. As goes the U.S. university, so goes the world. For for too long, the church has not focused on the university as a mission field, and now we're wondering why we're getting generation after generation of our own people swallowed by it.
0: Yeah. And the irony, when you look back at, at like the Ivy League and you see the history of the Ivy League and so many yep. universities and colleges founded by Christians, it's just a tragedy to see how many of them have fallen to secularism and this postmodern insanity of critical theory and critical race theory. Well, I want to reference RatioChristi.org if you'd like to find out more about this wonderful organization headed up by Dr. Corey Miller. I suggest you check them out. R a t i o c h r i s t i o-r-g. Corey, always good to talk to you. We'll be praying your lawsuit. Your second lawsuit goes well and turns out in the right direction. Thank you so much for talking with us again. Thanks, Janet. You got it. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Corey Miller. We'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. A new report from researcher George Barna reveals that almost one-third of millennials identify as LGBT, and nearly 40% of those between the ages of 18 and 24 say they are LGBT. Think of that. Almost half of all Americans between the ages of 18 and 24 are either homosexuals, bisexuals, or transgenders. How is that even possible? Or is that a further indication that big gay media propaganda has done its job on millions of young Americans, which was exactly what it was meant to do, by the way. Now also consider another important recent development. Just happened last weekend. The Republican National Committee announced its first ever RNC Pride Coalition. Fox News reports they partnered with the Log Cabin Republicans to invest and mobilize LGBTQ communities ahead of the midterms. And this was announced during last weekend's Spirit of Lincoln Gala, attended by former President Trump and the former First Lady, who is the event's guest of honor. RNC Chairwoman Rona McDaniel also apparently loves the Log Cabin Republicans. She says the RNC is committed to working with the country's largest group representing LGBTQ conservatives and allies what will the breaking down of moral objections to homosexuality end up meaning long term both for the church and for the nation we're going to talk about it now with peter la president of americans for truth about homosexuality peter great to have you with us again
1: Oh, thanks, Janet. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Let's start with this Barner report, if we could. Some 30% of millennials, including nearly 40% of adults 18 to 24, identify as LGBTQ. How is this possible when all of the statistics, going back quite a ways, you would know more than I, basically put the 3% statistic on how many people in a population usually are homosexuals? What What do you make of this?
1: Yeah, well, I'm not a statistician, and I'm not sure if I totally trust these numbers. I mean, it's only 600 respondents, Janet. It's not a huge survey, but regardless of whether it's 20 percent, 23 percent, 37 percent, all those numbers are way off the charts, and you're absolutely right. This is the product of decades of propaganda and a media which has now come to basically be the propaganda arm Of the homosexual, bisexual, transgender lobby that now calls itself queer. By the way, Um, this is you know when you're. It's a it's sort of a public brainwashing when all you hear is one side and you are conditioned to accept. You have more and more people who are just open to that possibility.
0: Right, but what does this mean for the country? I, I mean, if you have that many, let's say these numbers actually are right. When we have seen these kinds of statistics about worldview, for example, the younger you get, the worse it gets. So if we have millennials now at nearly 40 percent LGBT, if those numbers are correct, that just means more will be that way. It would seem if the trends continue when you get to Generation Z, what does that do to a country if that's actually accurate? Uh,
1: I just really think I want to say we are doomed, but I, I can't say that. Um, so, what I'm—I just think we're—we're—we're we're, we're seeing an implosion, Janet, a moral implosion in our country. I mean, we know that there are harms associated with these behaviors, terrible harms. I mean, you see the pictures of these awful—you know—transgender youth with the, who having, are are basically self-mutilating, having their bodies uh, surgically altered in the pursuit of this uh, opposite sex fantasy that's in their head. Um, we know the health risks of homosexual behavior, especially between males. All of that, I mean, that's just the health aspect. We know as Christians that the Bible is very, very clear about homosexual behavior, and so their souls are of course at risk. And that's another aspect of the report, of course, is that there's a a declining, uh, a vastly declining belief in the scriptural, the the authority of scripture, um, uh, the the need for Jesus, for our salvation. Um, So many indices on this report are are sort of depressing but the, I think the homosexuality and the transgender you know the gender confusion is is a is an incredible marker of a society that's crumbling because it is it was regarded as taboo just decades ago yeah you know, and now now it's like a, a popular thing that everybody's, you know, it's a new fad. It's just unbelievable how quickly it all uh, went down.
0: Well, it's interesting, too, because I think for people of a certain generation and older, and I would put myself in that category because I'm not Generation Z and I'm not a millennial, I'm a little older than that, but... How in the world do you switch teams, as it were? I mean, a lot of people who are older say, well, wait a minute. Usually it would seem if somebody was struggling with homosexuality that that had been a long-lasting thing. It wasn't as if you went along as a girl and you liked boys and then one day you decided, no, no, I like girls. That's, That's a conundrum that I think flummoxes a lot of people who are watching this who are older. What do you think about it? Well,
1: again, I attribute a lot of it to propaganda and social media. And one thing about this, Janet, is it does destroy, the, of course, the whole born gay myth, yep. which was useful for a time. Remember, the homosexual activists used born gay because they thought they knew that for a lot of people it would take the moral culpability away from them. Oh, I was born that way. Well, now that's passe. I mean, this obviously 39 percent of the population under 18 to 24 was not born with an inclination towards sexual and gender perversion. So. That shoots that whole myth, but it was useful for a time. Now it's, it's basically love is love, whatever your feelings say. And when you've got the, all this propaganda out there to an obscene degree, to the point where you can't turn on a TV show without, or, or open a box of cereal, practically, Kellogg's, you know, yeah. without promoting sex and gender deviance, I mean, it has a huge effect. Propaganda has an effect.
0: Uh, It does. You know, you said something important a few minutes ago when you referenced the fact that this generation never hears the other side. And increasingly, it would seem a lot of people in the church never hear the other side either because they're so busy going around and trying to be, oh, I apologize for how mean the church was to the gay community. There's a lot of this garbage. But social media also clamps down on it. I mean, I left Facebook in 2018 because they wouldn't allow me to say two men can't get married. They are wiping clean the internet as much as they can on social media of anybody who would stand for biblical truth. What does the church do in a moment like this? I mean, even Barna, I want to get to this because this is important. Barna himself talking about this report said that this is a, a generation that is disengaged from spiritual teaching and practice. They don't have the knowledge, understanding or experience or growth. And he says this, the resultant spiritual illiteracy virtually resigns them to a superficial worldview in which they grasp at ideas and practices That provide immediate comfort rather than lasting truth and peace. And he said the moral chaos that characterizes this generation can likewise be traced to a dearth of coherent and pragmatic religious instruction abetted by the absence of mature moral reflection. What about the religious instruction angle, Peter? What's your sense of things?
1: My sense is that, especially with these uh, growing numbers, you're going to see a a, a more apostasy within the evangelical world, and we're already seeing it. I mean, I mean, I'm reading a Preston Sprinkle book in which he basically is using the the plural pronoun for somebody who calls a transgender Christian. He's uh, sort of bowing to that agenda, and he's referring to this. I think it's a woman. She's born a woman. I think, <laughs> but he's he he refers to it with they. I mean, now how no. can a Christ, somebody purports to be a Christian leader bow to this moral, gender, uh, sexual agenda chaos um, in the name of Christianity? And we're going to see more and more of that. And they will use studies like this to say, "Hey, we have to cater, or we have to you know adjust our Christian ethos to this." quote-unquote, you know, hugely growing minority.
0: Well, right, and if you have a generation who wants to operate according to their feelings rather than according to biblical truth, you've got an epistemological problem. I mean, the sense of what is and why the things that are are the way they are. You see this all over the place with these younger generations who say, but I feel this way and my truth and my identity and who are you to tell me what my identity is. You can't even talk and have a normal conversation sometimes with the postmodern mind. That is such a challenge for the church, and I just don't see a lot of churches taking up that fight at the moment.
1: I don't think the churches have a clue. I mean, you're looking at hundreds and hundreds of transgender books that are on the market. I just read a comic book book. Version of somebody who, who struggle, you know, basically androgynous, and it, it, it's it's a narcissism that I don't think uh, gen, older generations can even understand. And they're so into being affirmed that they're demanding that people use their pronouns, these weird pronouns, or or you know instead of Z ze and Zer instead of he and her, and using a plural pronoun for a singular person. This is chaos.
0: It is. We're going to take a break. We'll come back, and by the way, bring back the English language. On that point alone we need to argue against this nonsense. We'll be back on Janet Mefford today. Don't go away. The U.N. has called what's happening in Lebanon the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. COVID-19, political upheaval, a crumbling economy, and two million refugees, children and their families living in poverty and despair. But in the middle of it all, God is at work. More Muslim cultured people than ever before are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And through your generous support, Heart for Lebanon is being used to bring these hurting people from despair to hope. A single gift of 100 Sixteen dollars helps bring a child and their family survival essentials and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. $348 cares for this family for an entire year. We have a goal to take over 50 families off a waiting list that desperately need our help. So we're hoping you'll be as generous as you can when you call 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a non-profit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We've been talking about this new Barner Report out of Arizona Christian University, indicating that almost one-third of millennials now identify as LGBT, and between ages 18 and 24, that number is nearly 40%. This, of course, poses huge challenges for the Church of Jesus Christ, those of us who stand on the Word of God as well as the nation, but Peter LaBarbera is with us from Americans for Truth about Homosexuality. I want to pivot a little bit, Peter, and bring into this discussion what just occurred this past weekend, the RNC has announced its first ever RNC Pride Coalition. They're all psyched about this. Mar-a-Lago had this event, this gala last weekend. Melania Trump, the former first lady, accepted an award from the log cabin Republicans. President Trump was there. This is supposed to be, I guess, an occasion for us all to have a ticker tape parade I think this is a disaster, not because you can't have anybody vote for any party they want, certainly that, that you you can, but just knowing the gay movement as you do, Peter, what are your concerns?
1: Well, I've always said that, the in recent years anyway, that the smartest gay activists are the ones working within the conservative circles. Yeah. And we see it here all the time. You're more likely to see a so-called gay conservative on Fox News well much more likely than to see a Christian conservative especially somebody and they won't have somebody who's for example ex gay like our friend Stephen black I mean the odds of him ever getting on Fox News are probably nil and why is that it's well I think they're based in New York City the city culture rules even conservative media I'm afraid but Janet we, we see it all the time the, the homosexual issue has been pushed to the side it's like it's as if people are saying now okay that's over and we know as Christians that's never over this is this is core morality and what the Republican Party is doing and conservatives even they're embracing moral relativism they're rejecting biblical authority they're rejecting uh, absolute truth uh, in favor of this shifting sand of okay now we know well the, the gay issue that one's over so we'll we'll embrace that I give them five years before they start talking about uh, uh, transgender Republicans there's no end to this and I think what needs to to happen is there needs to be the formation of an actual viable uh, sort of a Christian party, a party which is standing on moral truth. Yeah. Even if it's not a majority party, it could have a conservative party type influence. Like I think in New York, where there's a, a conservative party that actual has some kind of sway. But I mean, this is ridiculous that the, that the Republican Party, which which stood yeah. on the votes of. I mean, it won elections on, in its opposition to same-sex so-called marriage, and it, and it relied on faithful Christians for millions and millions of votes, now just casting aside that truth because they say, well, this is the way to go because this is now the new trend.
0: It reminds me of Ted Cruz referencing the Trump's New York values. Remember that whole flap that came up during the primary season? And, and you know, President Trump, a lot of us are grateful for much of what he did, but but on the LGBT stuff, he was very tepid, and here we are with Richard Grinnell, who was the first openly homosexual U.S. Cabinet official, saying that, oh, this is such a great thing. He said, for example, he had been watching in 1992 when Pat Buchanan spoke at the Houston Republican Convention. I remember that speech. That was a barn burner of a speech. But he said he was vowing not to allow what Buchanan said to stand quote, because I knew as a consistent conservative that to embrace people who wanted limited government and limited government involvement in their lives and more personal responsibility was the conservative principle. And he was wrong, I guess, when he was outlining a strategy where Grinnell says gay people were not welcome in the Republican Party. Here's the problem with that. When you reduce conservatism merely to fiscal concerns yeah. You're no longer a conservative, at least not by the three-legged stool standard that President Reagan once talked about. What are your thoughts?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think we've seen a dramatic rise in libertarianism, especially among conservative elites. And Janet, there's a, a very serious aspect to this whole gay conservative thing. Now, first of all, gay conservatives, so-called, can vote Republican anytime they want. Many right. voted for Trump, right? But. A lot of these so-called gay conservatives end up also calling themselves faithful Christians. Grinnell is one of them. You look at his Twitter page. Mm -hmm. He considers himself a believer. Now, wait a minute. Since when can a Christian abide a homosexual relationship? Since when can a faithful Christian be in a homosexual so-called marriage? This is making a mockery. Of biblical faith. And Janet, this, going back to the previous conversation we had before the break, I think what's happening here is a lot of people are seeing that the LGBTQ movement is this, as we've discussed, like a religious force. They are all sometimes more evangelistic than evangelicals are with the gospel, and they're strident, and they make demands, and a lot of people cave. Uh, They cave because they're seeing them as the force that won't bend. Instead of seeing moral believers saying, no, we cannot compromise. Why aren't more Republicans focusing on uh, restoring marriages between a man and a woman? Is that issue over now? I know. Just because the Supreme Court ruled it, it didn't work that way for abortion. Why would the Supreme Court's ruling uh, against you know basically uh, turning marriage on its head? Why would that stand? For and Roe v. Wade, uh, Roe v. Wade not be accepted.
0: Well, and the problem is when they say we want to have the Log Cabin Republicans and Company working alongside other coalition groups to invest in communities and mobilize support for the upcoming midterms. This is from Rona McDaniel. The problem with that, as we know from experience, Peter, is that the more you bring people in to be the activists for the cause, the more that they're going to want to impose what matters to them. Well, certainly, this issue matters a lot to them because they're gathering in the name of their sexuality. This is not something that heterosexual do. This is something that the LGBT community does, and they're free to do it. But what happens is how long before the GOP says it's just behind the times to say we can't get behind gay marriage? I mean, how long? Well, I, think
1: they're, I think they're almost there. Yeah. And- and it's just a, it's really moral relativism, which is what we yeah. crusaded against I know. just a couple decades ago, and it's very sad. And I think that, and I blame, I mean, I think Trump has a role in this. I think Fox News has a huge role by constantly elevating gay conservatives, never bringing, you know, never bringing in a challenge to that issue. And I think conservatives who gave up on marriage, that was a terrible decision. I think Christians need to stay in that battle, because the, the truth is not, you know, God does not put a, a caveat for gay Republicans in Romans 1. You know, it's not like, oh, 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 oh it's okay for the Republicans as long as you identify as a Republican and forget all that stuff in the Bible about homosexuality being sinful and being a sin that can be overcome through Jesus Christ. So this is really a, a sad day for the Republican Party. It cuts directly against its base, and I think, Janet, it cuts against the, repart- the party's ability to recruit, you know, for example, African-American uh, Christians who are, are going to be turned off by seeing gay Republicans always Representing uh, being heavily represented within the GOP.
0: Well, the other thing is I think they're very pragmatic. Politicians are pragmatic. They want the votes. This is a very closely divided nation. There's There aren't a lot of people in the middle who will go one way or another. It's a very, very tight race every time you get to a national election. They're looking at the polls. They're seeing the numbers of supporters for so-called gay marriage. There is no such thing. I know legally there is, but there is no such thing according to our Lord and Savior who says homosexuality isn't about I didn't say it. The Bible said it. When they're looking at the poll numbers, they're saying we need these people because there are so many of them. What happens then, Peter, is the Christians don't matter as much. That's what I see trending is we, we want more of the people who are embracing this agenda and fewer of those. Uh, We don't matter. People who say, no, this is wrong. This is morally wrong. We're not being nasty to human beings who disagree with us, certainly. But we're we're not going to stand for this. We we cannot, as Christians, get behind a party who one day may be in the same camp as the Democrats. Now you're really with a uniparty, aren't you? If they cave on this issue, there's no difference. What does that do to the voting trends among Bible believing Christians? I don't see how you could vote for either party at, at a certain point.
1: Yeah, it has a terrible ill effect. I think look at what happened with the whole issue of Pete Buttigieg and his so-called husband, you know, with the surrogacy and the twins. Very, very few conservatives I saw publicly, leaders, were willing to criticize and say, you know, Pete Buttigieg, you know, and his so-called husband, they shouldn't really be parents without, you know, they shouldn't be creating a household that denies, intentionally denies these babies a mom. Yes. And, and yet that wasn't brought up. It was all sort of more practical things. Oh, we took three months off and everything. And you see the, the shifting sand, people moving away from truth and, and, and falling on their arguments because they're basically caving in to this very powerful LGBTQ lobby of which I'm afraid the Republican gay activists are the most savvy of all. And they're the ones who are changing hearts much more than the crazy uh, Democrats. Uh, gay activists.
0: Well, absolutely. So it's something to keep an eye on and pray about and certainly something for Christians to communicate to their elected officials. We need to stand up for truth. We need to stand up for what the Lord says is the right thing to do and, and to let our politicians know we're free American citizens. We have opinions as well. And I think it's important for us to voice those opinions because this could go south very, very fast. I'm like you, Peter. I hate to say things like we're doomed because I know Jesus is coming back. We're not doomed. It's going to be glorious. But between now and then, we have to occupy till he comes. And part of that requirement is being the salt and light that he's created us to be. Peter LaBarbera, check out Americans for Truth on homosexuality over at americansfortruth.com. Peter, as always, thank you for being with us. Always great to talk to you.
1: Thank you, Janet. God bless.
0: God bless you, too. Thanks a lot for being here. Thank you, too, for joining us on Janet Mefford today. Pray for your fellow Christians, and pray for this great nation. There's a lot of prayer that needs to be (laughs) offered up to the Lord right now on behalf of all of us. And we'll see you next time. God bless you.